Welcome to Policy Works, a podcast brought to you by the Harvard Kennedy School's Reimagining the Economy Project. My name is Rohan Sandhu, and I lead the project with faculty co-directors Gordon Hansen and Danny Roderick. Policy Works serves as a platform to engage in detailed conversations with agents of economic development, both in and out of government. Through these conversations, the podcast tries to unpack a range of questions about the practice of economic development. How does policy work? What does the process of activating an economy look like? To help me unpack some of these questions, my guest on this episode is Matt Hulbot. Matt serves as the president and CEO at the Greater Rochester Enterprise. In our interview, Matt and I talk about the role of an economic development agent, what it takes to attract and retain businesses, the institutional partnerships with other actors and agencies, especially the workforce development ecosystem, where Matt has also had extensive experience. Matt Holbot, welcome to Policy Works. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Matt, let's start with your recent successes. The Greater Rochester Enterprise has had a record-breaking few years with a billion dollars of new capital investment over 2021. Tell me about the effort behind these numbers. From where you sit, what goes into making such investments happen? Well, I think it goes to the core of Greater Rochester Enterprise. It's a collaborative organization, and we're very focused on understanding um, what businesses are looking to do in a variety of industry sectors. Also, uh, having a good pulse on what is going on within the region itself, within the nine counties that we serve here in the Greater Rochester Finger Lakes region of New York and how to best um, connect businesses that are expanding and those that we're attracting to the region to the assets that they need to grow. So it starts with something simple, uh, really listening to the customer and then connecting those dots in a time, in a, in a business-like fashion, really focus on uh, results and execution. And again, uh, connecting the dots as, as things move forward. I want to dive a little deeper into the GRE's work. How much of your work is strategy and planning versus implementation? So you talked a lot about playing connector of sorts, you know, keeping your ears to the ground and providing information, being a coordination function. How much of it is playing that coordination function versus having a very calibrated strategy around sectors you want to grow and develop? Uh, well, it's a little bit of both. The, the, the engagement helps lead to um, understanding what industry is dealing with now and what is coming next. So we talk about this a lot, uh, the focus on connecting with existing businesses in the region, understanding the assets here, also understanding the technical capabilities of our colleges and universities, both from a workforce supply standpoint, as well as research and development capabilities. And then, uh, of course, industry publications, uh, going back to our uh, really our strategic assessment that was done in 2002 when we were created, and then keeping that updated and keeping that fresh is how it relates to global markets now, um, understanding industry trends, and then how uh, the assets that we have in this region connect uh, to support some of those companies that are leading further innovations, um, that are looking for sites and facilities and then making those dots so that they can come to a good business decision and do that here in Rochester. So the strategy from once we were formed, as well as implementing that strategy is really tied together. So, um, you know, we're kind of running at a quick pace, but also continuing to move and adjust as the market moves. 
since you mentioned it, tell me a little bit about that 2002 strategy and about the origin story of the Greater Rochester Enterprise. Yeah, that uh, that was a little bit before my time, but uh, my understanding is some uh, high net worth folks uh, who were business uh, people in the region saw companies making announcements in other areas of the United States and thought that that's a company that should really be doing business here based on the products or services they provided and how that should line up um, here in this region. And and they really came, they did an analysis and, and came to a conclusion that there was a, a need for a regional coordinating um, collaborative collaborative organization to market the region for those business attraction investments and also collaborate with uh, local economic development officials, uh, but with local business, as well as our college university partners and others to make sure that the region put its best foot forward for those opportunities and also supported that business um, expansion activity locally and uh, some of the entrepreneurship assets uh, that we have in the region are really amplifying that from entrepreneurship to innovation, uh, growing existing companies, and then attracting new investment. So it was really that three-legged stool and the original purpose. And then we really have run uh, to that mission, even as we are 20 years later now, and and having some success both on the expansion side, as well as uh, some of our attraction investments that you mentioned. I do want to dive a little deeper into how you work with all these other institutional players, but we'll do that in just a moment. Sure. Um, I do want to get back to things around uh, the GRE's overall strategy. You know, while we talk about that $1 billion in new capital investment, the GRE also has a stated focus on companies uh, with between 10 and 99 employees. How do you draw that balance between uh, the big ticket investments and supporting these small businesses? Yeah, that's a constant dynamic, especially now as our, our project, what we call project volume is, is pretty high. Um, normally, we support any opportunity, whether it be a small business um, coming to the region or a small business expanding up into a, a company uh, uh, in a, uh, that we are involved with, like a Samsung with a $17 billion investment, 2,000 jobs, anything in between. So we really run and serve all of those uh, size projects on any given day. And uh, we really haven't refrained from that. It, the, the, the stickier part is in some of the startup realms where a company might not be financed or has a business plan yet. That's where we really try to connect them to other resources to make sure you have a business plan. It's viable that you're financed so that we can help you grow and connect to assets here in the region. So it is, it's a balancing act on any given day. Um, luckily, we're blessed to have a great team here who will take a, a call from just about any company help connect the dots. And depending on where they are in, in what we call the site selection process, we will serve them to the greatest extent possible. And sometimes that may mean acting as that concierge for the region where we are connecting them to a resource that can help them move forward. We may take it on as a longer term uh, project or uh, connection point for us, or we may hand it over uh, to one of our colleagues and our partners in the region to help serve that company moving forward, depending on where they are in that growth spectrum. Since you mentioned it, tell me a little bit about your team. Uh, how large is it? What are the kind of capabilities in your team? And I know you've only been here for a few years. You haven't been here from the beginning, but uh, has have the capabilities of this team had to evolve over time? Yeah, we've we have uh, we've got about ten people on the team right now. We're a small not for profit organization supported largely by the business community to uh, to serve local business. And um, everybody here comes from a slightly different background. We've got some people 
who are involved in uh, media, um, public relations, uh, account executives. Uh, and it all goes back to that basic ability to work as a team, uh, to, to work under a serving leader uh, model, to run to mission, uh, to run to that great purpose, and really the ability to, to work in an environment that's very collaborative um, and, and focus on the business. So we work with a great deal of companies, as we talked about before, but connecting the dots and really listening to what is keeping that company up at night. And then how do the assets here in this region support that company's growth and their need to get a product to market, to innovate, uh, to stay ahead of the competition? And how, do, how does that uh, help us connect the people in this region to that business to, to keep them on the cutting edge? Um, so it's a it's a great group of people f- from a diverse background um, who really have that same ethos where they get up every morning and they want to support companies growing in the region and make a real difference. And that's that's why they're here with us. That's incredible. Let's go back to companies growing in the region then. Uh, so, you know, back to that small business segment. Uh, over time, what is the impact that the GRE has been able to create among such businesses? And what are the learnings? You know, what works for such businesses? Do these scale? Do they create more jobs? So that uh, specific to that, um, uh, what we call second stage companies, we've worked with the National Center for Economic Gardening for a number of years, served over 230 companies in that program. They've created over 1,790 jobs and also increased um, revenue uh, by over $500 million, really by expanding into new markets, uh, selling products outside the region, uh, which is very important to the region itself, as these second stage companies typically account for a, about 15% of local businesses in a typical metropolitan area, but about 40% of the jobs. So the impact is significant. Uh, they're privately held headquartered here in the region. So connecting them, to, uh, helping them access new markets uh, through things uh, like uh, increased marketing, sales leads, search engine optimization leveraging geographic information systems to identify new markets or even competitors in a market and make good business decisions get uh, to continue that growth and sometimes connecting them to each other or some of our larger uh, companies that are here in the region as well. So they continue to grow, uh, leverage that investment and create jobs. And we've seen some great success from that as well as we've seen those companies expanding uh, building new facilities uh, throughout the region in addition to some of the other work that we talked about in our typical economic development sphere. That sounds great. I'd love if you could share one or two uh, exemplars of such organizations. Yeah, we've uh, worked with a couple firms in this space, uh, one called Invative. Uh, that's a, a software uh, company in downtown Rochester. They've expanded in the region, added about 15 people, and they started at about 10. So they've uh, more than doubled in size. They're also now expanding into the Internet of Things uh, opportunity. And over, what, and over what time period was this? Uh, that was over a two or three year time period. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and we've seen another firm in the food and beverage uh, space who's added uh, about 20,000 square feet of space, uh, built new facility, uh, as well as uh, formed an ESOP as, as they've leveraged a program to identify and sell new products outside of the region and continue to advance. So. We've seen food and beverage companies, we've seen optics companies, information technology firms, software firms leverage this. And again, it's all about identifying uh, sales leads, um, uh, expanding it to new markets, which we think is particularly relevant after uh, the experience we've had in the past two years with COVID. 
That's great. Uh, let's dive deeper into optics since you mentioned it. You've stated previously that you know there's you've got outstanding companies in optics, imaging, and so on. Uh, the Monroe Community College seems to have particular expertise in this space. How has the Greater Rochester region been able to build a strategy around this sector? And tell me the origins of all of this. Yeah, well, I really think it goes back to um, some of our foundings. When we look at Eastman Kodak, Xerox, Bausch & Lomb, those are three outstanding imaging optics firms, some in different segments. We certainly have Bausch & Lomb in the medical contact eyeglass uh, space. Uh, Xerox, who is uh, well-known for their copier and other technologies. And Kodak in that uh, glass uh, film photography space and uh, in an optics firm. So as companies uh, in the earlier years were supplying those uh, those three big three firms, and as we had changes in those big three firms, those uh, that that underlying technology in optics, photonics, and imaging continued to expand. So we have smaller companies here in the region, and the fact that the University of Rochester is uh, one of the top um, bachelor, master, and PhD producers of optics degrees in the United States. Up to 50% of optics degrees are conferred by the University of Rochester. And then just to your point on that precision optical technician. So the people who are running the machines that make many of these optical components, including laser technology, 3D systems, as well as typical um, optics, uh, lenses and things, are, are coming out of that MCC program, Monroe Community College program, that is uh, really the only one of a two-year degree program in the world producing precision optical technicians. And then we also have one of our local high schools that is, uh, has an optical technician program, again, the only one of its kind in the world that is producing high school level talent where companies are hiring directly out of that high school. So the depth of that experience going way back in the supply chains to Kodak, Xerox, Bausch & Lomb, and then really advancing those technologies now where we've seen companies like Optimax, RPO, uh, Rochester Precision Optics, Viavi, uh, D3 Engineering, and so many more that have expanded here um, in, the, in the greater Rochester region, leveraging those technologies for medical device, uh, uh, laser technology, 3D imaging, and so many, many more um, uh, technologies that continue to accelerate really and advance technologies across the world tied to semiconductor industry, packaging, sensing technologies that are all in high demand for a variety of sectors. This is such a great example of how when the labor supply and the demand sides are in equilibrium, they actually reinforce each other. I'd love to know more about uh, how your office, uh, which is largely responsible for investments in the region, collaborates with uh, entities like uh, the Monroe Community College or the university or the high school uh, in other spaces. What is the engagement you have with uh, the community college or the workforce development ecosystem? Yeah, it's almost a, on a daily basis. You really see it across the, the globe. Uh, talent is driving decisions on everything from existing locations, the ability to expand in a region, especially attracting talent or attracting a major investment to a region. So we talk to our uh, community college partners on a daily basis to track what we're seeing. Uh, we also bring them into discussions when we're uh, talking to a local firm about expanding as well as uh, the ability to recruit a firm here not only uh, regarding that existing pipeline, but the ability to meet their demands and customize training or describe some of the programs that we have available in mechatronics, machine process control, uh, the ability to provide them with the industry uh, credentialing that they require um, as they bring equipment to the region and, and run an operation. And also on software and other technologies, data analytics, 
Uh, Monroe Community College is playing a larger role in that technician level area, as well as creating a pipeline uh, with our four-year uh, college system to provide ongoing training and help people get started in computer science, where they may continue on to an RIT or University of Rochester or some of our other schools like SUNY Brockport to, to secure a computer science degree at a four-year institution and maintain that industry partnership. So the connectivity among those uh, 19 colleges and universities is very critical. Our engagement with them is critical. And that talent, um, as well as the facility access and the other assets in the region is really a full circle approach um, and, and critical to the work that we do to support business growth in the region. Um, and Matt, you've of course been on the workforce development side as well before you made this transition to economic development. Yeah. Uh, for our listeners, Matt was previously executive director for Rochester Works, which provides employment and workforce development for job seekers. Now, having worked in both this workforce development universe and now in the economic development space, um, First, how is having worked in workforce development shaped what you do now in economic development? Well, I think uh, spending the time I did at Rochester Works helped me understand the pipeline and what is required in the sense of making sure that companies are, are promoting themselves. Are job seekers aware? Is the educational system aware of the companies, the technology, the skill needs they have? Um, and also, uh, from a simple standpoint, are companies doing the job they need to do to tell their story, to recruit people themselves. And then it's the, it's connecting those dots to your point. It's, it has to be a very collaborative process and, and intense information sharing, uh, especially as we're talking about companies now making billions of dollars of potential investment uh, in a new facility and the ability to hire a thousand or 1500, in some cases, 2000 people uh, to work in this facility probably 80% would be at that technician level. So the ability to provide technician level training to make people aware of those careers and to make sure that the workforce system is supporting uh, the economic development system and vice versa. So sharing information, collaborating is critical and uh, helping to understand uh, sometimes the challenges people go through to get the training they need uh, to, to fulfill the, the skill requirements needed in a variety of sectors is also important. So to me, I think it's been beneficial spending time in the workforce system. I certainly have a greater appreciation for what it takes to get programs up and running, as well as the fact that when you're talking about people, it's not like making a widget. So people have uh, demands and, and also opportunities in a variety of industry sectors right now, including running their own business, uh, not just getting a skill and working for someone else. Um, and certainly now uh, you see uh, where employers need to put their best foot forward and be a uh, an outstanding place to work and to uh, to share uh, in the benefits that they've got uh, to keep people employed as well as to make it an attractive opportunity as they recruit. So these two systems are evidently important and that relationship between the two is, of course, paramount. Uh, but having worked on both sides of this, what are the relative strengths and weaknesses of these two systems in, uh, you know, ensuring productivity, but also inclusive uh, prosperity. It's hard to compare the two systems. They're so uh, closely connected. The workforce system, as we, as if you go back to it, the educational system going K through 12, all the way through post, uh, post-secondary training, um, the ability for uh, people who are making career changes to get back into uh, the programs and per people who uh, may be on public uh, assistance um, going to these programs, you know, there's 
so many dynamics within the programming, the funding available, meeting those uh, funding requirements, and then the understanding of what skills are in demand in the various industry sectors is certainly critical and it can be very complicated. And then on the economic development side, it's a very competitive world uh, where companies are now competing uh, globally when we're citing certainly large semiconductor operations to even companies that have operations throughout uh, the world and in several states. It's always a intense data analysis to prove that this is the best place um, in order to, to build an operation and uh, to be able to, to grow beyond just citing the facility that first year, but well into the future. So um, a little different world as far as the competitiveness goes and the complexity, but also closely related. That's super helpful. Of course, apart from workforce development, you obviously engage with a variety of other institutional players and other stakeholders. Paint a picture for me of who these other entities are in the regional economic development ecosystem, and how does the GRE either collaborate or work in concert with these stakeholders? Well, it starts with our business community. That's the most critical component on understanding um, what businesses are in the region, um, ideally uh, um, what their specializations are, where we have capacity, where we have the ability to build partnerships for both supply chain as well as business-to-business opportunities, and then working with our Chamber of Commerce. Um, in the chambers of commerce throughout the region, as well as even our visitors association in the sense that when people are visiting, are they aware of, of the business assets that we have and the intellectual capabilities, the opportunity to build a business here, even when they may be visiting a museum or, or one of the lakes in the area and how uh, they may want to come here, live and, and work at one of our outstanding businesses who are all hiring right now. And then the connection to our college and university system. Um, are certainly the quality of our schools in our K to 12 uh, pipeline. And then uh, working with our government officials as well, as we talk about simple things like permitting, access to our utility system. So all of that, all of those connection and touch points are critical to a business. So uh, we, we like to talk about the fact that we act as a concierge for the region. It's really asking the, the business leader he or she, you know, what are you looking for? What's keeping you up at night? And then what do we have in this region that can help solve that problem and not just solve the problem, but also help you grow into the future? So we really want to make uh, sure that the company, that the leadership in the company is connected, that they're well supported, uh, that they're able to make connections in the region. And that comes from connecting all those dots uh, with our government community leaders. Uh, also on the quality of life, housing is certainly important and the other amenities that you can leverage here in the region, whether you like the arts uh, or our, our uh, music, um, getting outside, enjoying a kayak, or perhaps skiing or, or boating or fishing or, or whatever, uh, where you like to spend your time and support your family. You know, I was going to ask you to give me an example of a time when you brought different stakeholders to work in concert. But I think a more interesting question is, what's the time it's been a challenge to bring these different stakeholders with obviously different norms, cultures, incentives to actually work together? And how have you, how have you been able to overcome that challenge? Yeah, well, I think uh, sometimes it, it can be a challenge just in scheduling. Um, often we're sometimes limited when we know a company is coming to town. Uh, they may be in on a Thursday or a Friday and they, they uh, certainly, and we would like to connect them to all of our leaders in a time frame that works for them, but yet they still want to see five or six sites or facilities uh, they also want to see uh, the head of research at one of our colleges and universities, such as U of R or RIT, 
um, and, and meet businesses that are in their industry sector and meet the mayor or the county executive and so forth. So we have to schedule all of that. Um, in a way that works best for the company and gets them back on the plane or on the road to their to their next uh, visit or back home. So the challenge often is scheduling. Uh, but I think uh, the fact that we've been here 20 years doing this work, you know, we we largely are able to meet those needs and even accommodate schedules. And sometimes uh, uh, people, uh, you know, government to business leaders or college university partners that, again, uh, to your point, might not have the same incentives, but they do come around the table uh, with the same goal in mind. And I think that's where we've been really blessed to have good support, um, understanding uh, from uh, the people that we work with on a daily basis uh, that are very supportive and uh, collegial when they come together with the purpose of supporting a business, especially that's new to the region and helping them grow here. The GRE's primary funding is in private sources. How does this play into the kind of role uh, you are able to play in this larger uh, stakeholder landscape? Yeah, I, well, I think that gives us um, a, a bit of flexibility. We're privately funded. Uh, it's very important for us. We also don't get involved in, in charging fees or involved in the relationship on the real estate side where we're uh, getting a commission or something out of the siting of the facility. So the private support the fact that we have a foundation uh, at GRE that supports the work that we do is critical. And in fact, uh, business leaders have, have uh, recently stepped up that support uh, through a new alliance, uh, uh, supporting talent development in the region, better connecting the dots we're, we're working on here at GRE and supporting downtown development. Um, so that that has really uh, increased our bandwidth and uh, um, the collaboration across the region. So that focus really helps us uh, keep that bird's eye view on uh, supporting the business that we're talking to or businesses that we're talking to, helping them grow in the region, connect the dots and uh, work in a way that is best for that particular business and, and meeting their needs. So, you know, as you've already said, you've been breaking records the past couple of years. What's next for the GRE? Uh, there's obviously a lot of working with firms and working with businesses to understand you know, what demand for labor might look like in the future. Where do you see demand in the future for the greater Rochester, Rochester area? And how in line with that are the GRE's own goals and work going to evolve in the coming years? It's very interesting. Economic development, as you've probably seen, has really uh, continued to to discuss and be more and more connected to talent. So this conversation around being a destination to live and to work and to play, frankly, is critical. So it's it's uh, quality of place. We're much more involved in quality of place discussions, as well as the, um, the storytelling related to businesses growing in the area. Do people understand the quality of businesses, not just the one job you may uh, come to Rochester for, but the several opportunities that, that you and your family may be able to entertain over your uh, life here, um, and also the amenities in the region and, and the connectivity beyond the region. Uh, we do a lot of work across upstate New York, worth it, working with other organizations like GRE to, to really talk about the totality of what's available across upstate New York and, and work with our state partners uh, to better leverage and uh, discuss opportunities across the state where uh, business needs support or talent systems need support and connecting the, the holistic approach to economic development. So it's it's more than what used to be known, I guess, as smokestack chasing. It's it's everything the business needs, not just to make that uh, facility decision, but also hire people, 
um, have them cemented in the community and, and to perhaps engage with us. We've had several businesses that we have worked with over the past few years that are now investing in GRE to support the work that we do on a continuous basis. And I think that's pretty significant. You've been in this space for some time now. Uh, how are future economic development leaders being trained? Is there adequate training support for people who are looking to break into the field? There is. Uh, the International Economic Development Council uh, has a program uh, formalized for economic development credentialing. Um, our state association works with that with the New York State Economic Development Council. So there's a, a good process for that formally. Um, and I think uh, the way that we uh, focus at GRE, it really is, um, uh, we do a lot of leadership development here, working with um, some, some outstanding leaders from the private community on uh, coaching, executive leadership, uh, skill setting, um, also giving uh, some identification of strengths with our team so that they know what their strengths are, right? running to that great purpose so that they can continue to be leaders, not just in G at GRE, but also as they uh, move on to perhaps their next endeavor um, and impact the community at a continuous greater rate. So we've been, we've been really lucky to be able to work with people from, uh, again, Roberts Wesleyan, a uh, particular gentleman there who, who supports our leadership development, as well as uh, individuals that are doing executive coaching with other businesses. And they, they provide that as a, a really a benefit to us and the support, the mission, what we're doing, because they uh, are so appreciative of the work that we do. So that's something we do internally, but externally you also have those other tools at IEDC and the New York State Economic Development Council for people who want that formal credential. I understand through the IEDC that you also get to engage with others in similar roles such as yours in other parts of the country. What are some of the learnings you've had while interacting with this cohort of individuals? Well, there are certainly differences from community to community. The, the approach um, and the programs uh, may be different, but it still comes back to that basic person-to-person -person interaction. So uh, for me, it is, uh, while we may be different, even from country to country, the basic uh, needs are the same. People want to work. Um, they want to make sure they've uh, got a good opportunity and a good quality of life. And uh, they also want to uh, be able to make connections in the shortest time frame possible to avoid risk. And that's something that we focus on. And, uh, and in some cases, I've got companies uh, where they've got multiple locations in other states. And that, that interaction with uh, folks we've met through IEDC or other networks is beneficial because we can contact that person and help uh, someone who's got a facility in another state because of that connection. So in the end, uh, I, think, I think it's a lot more um, collegial than what, what you may think, because it is, you know, it is competitive, but, uh, uh, we know each other well. And I think you can see some good example sharing, some benchmarking, certainly. Um, and you see where, uh, certainly at the IEDC, where you, you see some, uh, outstanding best practices share that really should help all, all of us as we look toward the future. Um, yeah, that's a very positive note to end some of these questions on. But Matt, I have three more questions before I let you go. Sure. Questions that we ask all our guests. Uh, number one, what's top of your policy wish list? Boy, top, top of my policy wish list is actually, it goes back to that workforce criteria. What can we do uh, to better inform people of the, of the jobs that are in demand now? And that's everything from uh, healthcare to optics, uh, food and beverage manufacturing and entrepreneurship. 
to make sure that people, uh, uh, especially people who are in need, are aware of the of the programs available. That that uh, process to engage in those programs is more streamlined. Um, I'm a big uh, I'm a big advocate for the reduction of paperwork um, and streamlining processes so we can get more people trained with the credentials they need and more people running businesses in a faster timeline so we can increase wealth generation here in the region. That's probably uh, my top wish list. Um, and that's certainly easier said than done. Absolutely. You can say that again. Uh, if you had to give a piece of advice to researchers, economists trying to study economic development and the day-to-day work that practitioners such as yourself do, what would your advice to them be? I think we need to focus on the top three or five uh, um, goals. And uh, we tend to, uh, I think we've had a little bit of uh, the, the uh, paralysis of analysis. Um, and uh, our big focus here is execution. So what can we do to make those changes um, that are most impactful? And uh, I think the challenge is there are, uh, there are so many opportunities for improvement across the systems that we've uh, just talked about. But what are the top three or five that need to be tackled right away so that we can be most impactful when it talks when we talk about wealth creation, uh, career, uh, careers for people, especially people who are in need and have uh, when we talk about economic inclusion and equity, what can we do now and be most impactful to execute and make changes so more people are earning a, a, um, a living at an outstanding company and continuing to improve their quality of life? And finally, what is one article, book, place, or even movie that has influenced how you think about economic development? That's a good question. Um, uh, I think one thing we really focus here uh, is being the ideal team player. Um, so we're really focused on being humble, hungry, and smart. Um, and that uh, it's a, a bit of a, it sounds easy, but it's that constant check of are we serving the company? Are we running to that great purpose? And am I being a good uh, team member to the team here at GRE and the team beyond these walls? Um, And I I, I think we've done that pretty well, but it's always a challenge and it's always something that we check uh, on a daily basis to make sure we're hitting the outcomes we need uh, for this community. Well, Matt, humble, hungry, and smart are great words to bring this to a conclusion. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. Karthik Sani serves as an assistant producer for Policy Works, and Annie Chen provided research assistance for this episode. To know more about the Reimagining the Economy project, and to get in touch with us, please visit reimaginingtheeconomy.hks.harvard.edu.